question from the community. Do you have some best practices on crisis communications you could recommend? I think this kind of information is always good to have in your back pocket, especially when working with small businesses. Hi, I'm Josh, and you are listening to the Thought Unpacked podcast, an exploration into the world of modern marketing. My goal, bring some clarity and context into an industry that impacts our everyday lives. Today's topic, tips for crisis communications. Now, before we begin in the tips that I shared with this individual, I should set up this episode a little bit. I have been working in digital marketing for the better part of two decades, and a good portion of that time was working at and for public relations slash communications agencies. And one of the things that they do exceptionally well, or at least the good ones, is they know how to manage a crisis. They know when to step in, how to step in, where to step in, and when to step in all critical aspects of managing crisis communications. Now, you might be wondering, what is crisis communications? Well, in this day and age, it could be many, many things. But it ultimately boils down to this. It is when the vast majority of people, consumers or just general public alike, consider your brand less than. They may be seeing it as something that is no longer favorable, or seeing it in a new light that is not so, as they would say, flattering. These are all different forms of crisis communications. Some are major and some are minor. And I'll give you two examples by what I mean, one major and one minor. One minor issue right now, and many people would think this is a major thing, but really it's not if you look at the approval ratings, etc., is the recent expose from Harry and Meghan about the royal family. Right now, the royals, with a capital R, are in crisis communications mode. They need to be very careful about what they say, how they appear, how they address the accusations. That is Crisis Communications 101. Now, fortunately for the royals, they have in their back pocket an army of individuals who have had this dance a number of times. So I'm confident they'll get out okay. This is also, in my opinion, not a real major crisis. Yes, there are some things said that are definitely unfavorable. And yes, there's going to be a slight shift in the populist opinion of the royal family. However, if you look at who is in favor of the royal family, most notably, Brits and the better part of the UK, their ratings actually are going up. It's not a bad thing for them. I'm not saying that they're thrilled, but it didn't seem to really hurt their approval ratings. Now, in contrast, yes, their approval rating is going down in the US, but let's be honest, I'm not really sure how A, concern the royal family is with a country that is no longer part of the Commonwealth, and B, and far more importantly, I don't know how much the U.S. citizens really care about the royal family. Again, there is no impact in their day-to-day lives, unlike us in Canada where there is some impacts. However, 
you look even further still at the approval rating of the queen, the current monarch, and her approval rating is at an 80, give or take. 80% of people believe the queen is doing a good job. I don't know about you, but if I was running for parliament or if I was trying to promote a candidate for parliament, I would be doing literal somersaults, backflips, singing, shouting from the rooftops about how thrilled I was that my candidate or myself had an 80% approval rating. That is unheard of. Even at their peak of approval, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, President Barack Obama, just to name a few, have never come even close to that level of approval. So although this is a crisis of communications for the royal family, it is, again, in my opinion, but a minor one. Now, a major crisis, well, that is often revolving around something that directly impacts both the business and the lives of their customers. And I have been in a few crises that really impacted both, again, the business and the customers. And one such crisis of communications was a brand or product recall. The product recall was for a hummus brand, national, actually an international chain of hummus, one of the world's largest. And unfortunately, as many food brands will experience, they were forced into a bad position. There was a little bit of contaminant found at their factory, and they were forced to recall all of their products. All of their hummus products had to be disposed of. Now, this is a major crisis. This is a major crisis because first, the business, this hummus brand, had to react with very little warning. Unlike the royals who had due notice, I know they didn't get to see the interview beforehand, but they knew it was coming, this hummus brand had no idea. One day everything was going along fine, the next day, not so much. They also had very little time to plan what they were going to do. When you're dealing with a recall, the government and the governing bodies give you a very short timeline. They don't want your products to be in store. They don't want your products to be on the shelves or in store for weeks or months while you plan meticulously how you're going to address that. They give you a few days at most, and again, that is at most, and then you have to kick into gear. So there's very little time to plan anything. Further still, the second you say we are recalling our products, people ask the obvious question, why? And the moment you say, well, there is some contaminants that were found at our factory that could cause serious illness or death. And let's be honest, that is exactly how people hear it, or death. And the percentage is much smaller than you or I slipping in the rain, falling on the sidewalk and cracking our head. Which, hopefully that wasn't too disturbing of an image, but that's the truth. The percentages are actually higher, but yet all of us walk on sidewalks in the rain every day. But the second a brand has to say, we're doing this because it could hurt you, ooh boy, is that hard to recover from. This is a major crisis communications moment. Your wording has to be specific, but yet not so much that you could have liability or lawsuits on your hand. 
it needs to tell people exactly what to do, but also account for the fact that people will not read the whole thing or listen to the whole video or whatever communications channels you have selected. And you have to have other forms of communications and mitigating risk factors and a whole slew of approaches to ensure people know what they need to do. The list could go on, but I think you're getting the picture. When you're dealing with a recall or anything that impacts, again, both a business and its consumers or clients, you're into a major crisis. So having gone through that myself a few times, here are a few things I have learned about crisis communications. The first and arguably most important thing is to move slow to go fast. Now, I didn't come up with that line. That's actually a Daniel Pink line that you want to slow your thinking down to allow yourself to absorb all the data points. I'm not exactly sure how he phrases it, but essentially to absorb everything you need to know and then you can execute, which again, totally makes logical sense. Very few of us are successful in doing that. However, move slow to go fast is by far my number one crisis communications tip. If you try to just be purely reactionary, reacting to everything in the moment, you're going to find yourself very far down the river without a paddle or arguably even a boat. You may be literally treading water. It is much better to spend an hour or two thinking and discussing an approach than rushing something out and then spending four or five hours or again more trying to course correct. And as we experienced at the onset of the global pandemic, misinformation, which at the time wasn't necessarily wrong, but it wasn't right, is very hard to come back from. What people hear first is what they'll remember. What they believe is almost impossible to come back from. So if they hear something at first that they believe is true, you are going to have to work inordinately hard, almost impossibly hard, to course correct. So it is far better to move slow to go fast. My next tip is don't automatically accept fault, but acknowledge the problem. Now I learned this one from another corporation as one of their senior leaders was a brilliant practitioner in crisis communications. And she let me know that the worst thing you can do out the gate is to say, I'm sorry. It's not that you should never say, I'm sorry. If you discover that it is your fault and that there is a need to correct, then say you're sorry, be honest, be genuine, be transparent, but don't automatically accept fault because at the end of the day, it may not be your fault. But if you begin by saying, we're sorry, I'm sorry, etc., you've accepted that it is your fault without any research or due diligence. And then going back to my first point about moving slow to go fast, you've now put it out there and people are going to believe it. So once you discover that, oh, actually it wasn't our fault, it was a computer glitch. No, no, your fault still. Doesn't matter what really happened. You've said you're sorry. Thus, you've accepted fault. But there is another side to this. While you're not necessarily wanting to accept fault, you absolutely must acknowledge that there is a problem. Further still, 
People don't actually need to hear, I'm sorry, but they need to hear, I hear you. I see you have a problem and will work to resolve this issue as quickly as possible. That's what they're there for. They're not there for you to feel a little bit better. They're there to say, hey, I've got a problem and you need to fix it. So by acknowledging their problem, by letting them know that they're aware of the problem and that they're working to resolve the problem as quickly as possible, you are actually giving, for the most part, what people really want. Acknowledgement and then at least a sign of things getting better. Now, the next tip is to be very aware of where you share. Now, what I mean by that is with more channels cropping up every day for communications, you need to be hyper aware of where you are sharing your crisis communications or where crisis communications may be popping up. Most of the time in general crisis communications, the fewer, the better. You don't necessarily want to flood the market with everything you're, you've done wrong. However, you also need to be aware of A, people may be discussing your problem or your issues publicly on platforms like Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or on blogs or on vlogs. The list goes on. So you do need to be aware that even though you may have mitigated the spread of communications to only a press release, that does not mean that you're only sharing there. So that's why you have to be very aware where you, or more accurately, where your crisis communications is being shared. Now, if you do discover that people are sharing information in public space, it's ideal to move them to a private space such as a DM or email. And as a side note, email is far better. It gives you the opportunity to have a paper trail. Also, it takes it off a social platform. And finally, it allows you to probably loop in people on your team much easier. So email is better. But in any sense, moving it from public to private is the first step. Now, if it was said publicly, which again happens all the time in crisis communications, you don't want to just handle it offline or privately, I should say, and then ignore the fact that it was originally shared publicly. You have to state something, but you have to know that you're now jumping into the waters with essentially a bunch of sharks or otherwise known as trolls. There are now going to be people looking for you to make a mistake, say a faux pas, something along those lines. So be aware that that still is going to happen. There's a good chance, but at least for your customers or your prospects, they will see you handling the situation. They don't need to know all the details. That's what happens privately, but they can rest assured that you have handled it. Hence, you need to be very aware of where you or others share. Okay, two more points. Bring everyone to the table. Now, in smaller organizations, say small business, which was the focus of the question, this may be very easy. In fact, if you're a sole proprietor, you may be the only person to bring to the table. If you're a company of one, that's a pretty small table. However, it is still critical that you involve key decision makers, even if there's only two or three. 
right? A small business may have two or three individuals who need to be involved in the discussions. Again, if you're a smaller organization, you may also be considering and should probably include frontline staff because they're the ones most likely who are going to get the brunt of the crisis communications thrown at them so they should be involved in the conversation at the forefront. Now in larger companies and organizations, having department heads around the table is critical as a crisis impacts everyone. Even if your ops person doesn't think he should be involved or your HR manager is considering a better use of her time, that is not the case in either case. They both need to be involved, as well as all other department heads, because a crisis impacts everyone. Finally, don't assume anything. And I can't stress this one enough. If there's really two tips to take away, it's the first and the last one. Move slow to go fast, and then don't assume anything. You may think you have clear instructions. You don't. You may feel your communications are logical. They're not. You will, in fact, feel many times of throwing your hands up in the air, saying, WTF, we just said that, and stomping out of the room. But you'd be wrong. You can't assume that people know what to do, what you're saying, why you're saying it, or how to take action. You can't assume that. You suffer from the curse of knowledge. They don't. So what you have to do is be prepared for everything to essentially blow up and then put into place mitigating factors to try to overcome those things from blowing up. As I said in the forefront when I was discussing that larger crisis of communications with the product recall, we knew our communications were logical and our instructions were clear. But we also knew that people weren't going to read the full article, weren't going to watch the full video, were not going to follow the instructions. So we had to paraphrase, create infographics, and do a myriad of other things to essentially say the things that we were already saying. But by doing that, we didn't succumb to moments of frustration, and we ultimately came out the other side. Those are some of my tips for dealing with crisis communications, I'm sure you may have your own. If you do, I would love to hear them, and you can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram. If you enjoyed today's episode and want a question answered yourself, please, again, look for Thought Unpacked on Twitter or Instagram. And until next time, stay safe.